Attention, are you ready to be blown away? You asked for it and they listened. My friends at Manscaped just relaunched the ultra smooth package. This specialized groin shaving kit is here to help you buff, protect, and shave your most sensitive areas. It's time to trim that bush and get to the roots with a discount just for you from Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code BATBOOK. Now riddle me this, what is in the ultra smooth package? Answer, the crop exfoliator, crop gel, and the crop shaver. Out with the terrible trio, this terrific trio will get you trimmed from front to back. The crop exfoliator is loaded with the right ingredients to help reduce ingrown hairs in your delicate places. Matt Hagen would trust it. Crop gel helps you see where you're shaving and feels like a spa treatment. But don't worry, not of the eternal youth kind. And the crop shaver is designed to shave the underside of your little Gotham with confidence. It's a smaller, thicker blade with a micro comb bar that allows for the best shave possible from any angle. Slade Wilson is even a fan. So smooth out your fellas with the relaunched Ultra Smooth package from Manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BATBOOK. That's B-A-T-B-O-O-K, BATBOOK. To the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. Now, I'm your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network. There's a whole list of other Bat-related shows that also dive into other nerdy subjects we all love to frolic about in our free time. The Batman Book Club is also on Patreon. If you like what's going on with the show and you want to help support it, just go to patreon.com slash thebatmanbc, and it helps keep those generators running in the way manner study. Now, thank you for listening to episode number 104, Interlude on Earth 2. Now, joining me for this discussion is a very special guest. He's a comic book writer. He is an expert in all things animation, and he's a citizen on Cybertron with the Netflix uh, series, The Transformers, The War for Cybertron. It is FJ DeSanto. FJ, thank you for coming on to the Batman Book Club. It's my pleasure, and thank you for not having Bill Ramey on this. <laughs> so, can, so we can we can actually talk and not be dominated by Grandpa Bill. <laughs> <laughs> he'll listen to this because he's excited to listen. I know to this and he will point. love. Uh, he'll he love will it. love to hear that. I, I can hear him. I can hear him laugh now. So uh, there you go. Any more shots you want to take a Bill? Have at it. You don't uh, have to wait for me. But <laughs> if the opportunity presents itself, I always take a shot at Bill. <laughs> uh, I'm very I'm very excited. I'm very uh, pleased to have you on here. Um, to bring your expertise on Batman comics here. Uh, I Before we dive into the book that we're going to talk about, though, I always like to ask somebody the first time on, what's your favorite Batman story? This is it. The one we're talking This look, is it? I mean, yeah, th- th- for some reason, well, you know, Dark Knight Returns, obviously, you know, and I mm-hmm. got to work with Frank Miller, produced a movie for him. Um, and... Uh, I had lunch with him a couple of months ago and he, he's, he remembered a fight we had 15 years ago where I was really upset with his portrayal of Dick Grayson in Dark Knight 2. Um, and, you know, he, it's still a grudge we have against one another. Um, but I, I mean, I'm of a certain age and we'll get into this, the, where Colix and I grew up alongside one another. It just happened to be, you know, the advantage of being a middle-aged man now is I was the right age for Dark Knight, Watchmen, Reef of Vendetta, things like that. When comics grew up, it was just happened to be like right on the same parallel path. Um, but this book that we're going to talk about, just there's a weird thing I have about Earth 2 Robin since I was a wee little, little kid. Um, and this book to me is sort of like the definitive story of that character or like the best version of that character. Um, so it's, it's one, it's easily in my, I shouldn't say it's maybe my favorite, maybe Dark Knight Returns, the first one is my all-time favorite, but this is, 
I, I think this is my all time favorite single issue of a comic book. I've, I've probably bought like three or four copies of it. Over <laughs> years. It, it really does thrill me when I have somebody on and they get to talk about their favorite story. It's gotten to happen a few times and that just makes, I mean, it's the whole kind of the reason for the show as itself is to talk about Batman comics. And then when you pull a, a deep pull, like, you know, like this, um, because of course everybody knows of Dark Knight Returns, like you just said, Long Halloween, yeah. Year One, and everything. But when you pull a specific issue, just one series, it's not part of a, a whole series or a whole run. That makes it really fun. So let's just get ready to dive into The Brave and the Bold, number 182, Interlude on Earth 2. Now it has a cover date of January of January in 1982. It's written by Alan Brennert, illustrated by Jim Aparo. Uh, it's, it was released, obviously, physically. It's been collected in uh, quite a random amount of collections, like the Tales of the Batman, Alan Brennert, Legends of the Dark Knight, Jim Aparo, Volume 3, the somewhat recently released Batman, the Brave and the Bold, Omnibus, Volume 3. Uh, surprisingly, it's not on DC Universe, Infinite. Um, yeah, I know. I it's not on Comic Salad. Not on Comic Salad no. either. So it's it's really surprising to me. So uh, you've kind of already sh- uh, shared that you have a- a physical issues of this, and that's is that what you read in prep for this? Yeah, you know, yeah, I did, and I I, I forgot how good it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, to to be honest with you, and like I said, I had this. What what I really like about it is what Alan Brennett did with this is he sort of gave some cool elements to the Earth 2 Bat universe that you really didn't get. So -hmm. at that point, it was very much like, hey, we know, and this is mostly because of Paul Levitz and Joe Staten in particular, is, hey, Batman married Catwoman. They have a daughter. She becomes the Huntress, right? And subsequently, they kill off Earth 2 Batman in, in Adventure Comics a few years before this um, when he's Commissioner Wayne and he becomes Batman one last time and all this stuff. And, you know, and that was sort of it. And then it was sort of, you know, Huntress sort of goes off and does her thing with Power Girl and Robin, you know, Dick Grayson, who now at this point is an adult, he's like an ambassador to South Africa, which was something Levitz came up with in All-Star Squadron in the 70s and all that stuff. Um, you know, like weird stuff like that. Um, but what was cool about this one is it actually gave some depth to Earth 2 Robin, but then also gave some depth to Earth 2 Batwoman, which sort of never existed, you know, like basically the continuum of the golden age version of her. Um, and it's, it's just a really interesting, simple premise of what happens when an adult Dick Grayson who's been dealing with the death of their version of Bruce Wayne has to team up with another Bruce Wayne and there's resentment towards him and stuff like that. And, and it's really about them finding a common ground and a partnership, all thanks to, of course, to Hugo Strange, who's always a great villain. But, you know, I grew up obsessed with Earth 2. I loved Earth 2 as a kid. Um, and I'm, a di- I, I'm sure, you know, I've been on Bill's stuff before, but I'm a Dick Grayson fanatic since childhood. And again, you talk about that specific age. The year this comes out is the 1982, I think is the same year or around the same time New Teen Titans comes out, which was a, a complete like brain explosion for me and is probably my other favorite. You know, Teen Titans are my favorite group. Dick Grayson is my favorite character of all time. And I had bought a lot of Teen Titans pre-New Teen Titans as a kid, like an old comic stuff and, you know, the 60s stuff and all that stuff. And it was never really good, but I was always obsessed with the the joy of the, the sidekicks getting together. And I think I liked Dick Grayson because he was in this cool world, but he wasn't, I wasn't as sort of dark and angry as Batman. So Robin was always much more fun for sure. me. Um, and I loved the Earth 2 concept. I loved Justice Society. I loved All-Star Squadron and things like that. And then the, the, the real obsession with Earth 2 Robin starts, at least from my memory, which is, I think it's in 1978, and I'm really young, like I'm four or five years old at this point. Um, Batman 300. If you remember Batman 300, which is this bizarre, it's not, it's not very good, right? It's, um, I think Walt Simonson drew it. 
Um, and it was called The Last Batman Story. And some, someone named David Reed wrote it. I think Walt Simonson, Dick Giordano drew it. But it's a cover of Batman holding, you know, his cowl and cane mm-hmm. while Alfred and Robinson background. And Robin, this was the first time I'd seen the Earth 2 Robin character. And he was in this really badass costume that at the time I didn't know Neil Adams had um, designed in Justice League a few years before. I sort of ended up backtracking that as I got older, you know, finding all the mm-hmm. back issues and stuff like that. But I just loved the costume. And I sort of loved knowing like, this is what happens to my favorite characters in the adult. And that story, by the way, isn't very good, that Batman 300 story. Um, and, and it's sort of been lost to time, but Simonson's art is great. But the story is meandering, like, esoteric nonsense um at least based on my memory but so it led to my sort of whenever earth 2 robin would briefly show up especially they, they had that run in adventure comics where they were like the dollar comics and it was mm-hmm. aquaman flash like all the you know multiple stories in one and that led to the death of batman so there was a lot of earth 2 robin in it and i love joe state um who I, I just think is a tremendous artist sorry i'm getting to this whole issue so by the time you get to this brave and the bold issue you know, there's been like a, you know, there's only been a dearth of Earth 2 Robin. You know, they tried to launch him in, in the All-Star Squadron with Power Girl and Star Spangled Kid in the 70s with Wally Wood and Dick Giordano. But then the character just sort of always disappears. And, you know, I even asked Levitz at some point, you know, like, why did it sort of taper off? And he was just sort of like, there wasn't much to the character. Like, there wasn't, you know, it was like, who is Robin at that age, right? He'd like, he's not Batman. He's not, and this is before they even killed her to Batman. Um, so that's what makes this book even more special is you sort of have a dynamic that you've never seen before and, and sort of never see again. You know, that, that's sort of, it's like a one-off of this, of our earth one Batman sort of entering this earth two world, which was always up until this point, the fun team ups, you know, it was the mm-hmm. fun yearly JLA JSA team ups. So you never really had, any sort of angst or conflict between the characters, et cetera. And then you sort of have this story of Dick Grayson dealing with the trauma of having to interact with a Bruce Wayne that he doesn't really know, but also this Batman sort of dealing with this familiar yet completely foreign thing, which again, in those stories, they never really addressed in those Earth 1, Earth 2 crossovers, which were always fun, sort of like, you know, Barry Allen meets Jay Garrick and they have a barbecue, you know, like, like they, everybody always got along. Um, and that's why I was sort of fascinated. And, and, and subsequently it's a paro at the top of his game, right? Like, like he's just that this whole particular era of Brave and the Bold. And he, and he goes on for like another 20 issues to like Brave and the Bold 200 is, is just a man at the top of his game. He's so good. So he captures the emotions of, in particular, of both Dick, Earth 2 Dick, and um, Batwoman, which is really fascinating. She's sort of like, she's like, you know, I loved Batman and he fucking, sorry, excuse my language, you know, he retired and I just couldn't be Batwoman anymore. And, you know, and then you gotta remember in Earth 1, Batwoman's dead. So for Bruce, he's gotta deal with you know, like he's also seeing a ghost, right? And she's sort of like, sort of falling in love with him again and stuff like that. And there's just, you know, like all this fun stuff sort of just squashed in there, but it gave some depth to Dick Grayson of of who he was at that point. And, you know, and no one's done it since and no one did it before that, you know, like even when they first introduced that costume in the old Justice League issues, it's sort of, Earth two, it's actually Earth One Robin wearing that costume because they they were desperately trying in the sixties and seventies to get Earth One Dick into a different costume. So there were always like these costume contests. If you Google it, you'll see like in the seventies they would do like fan submitted designs and all this crazy stuff. And um, Neil Adams designed that costume. And so originally Earth One Robin, I forget what issue JLA it is. I, w- I was just rereading it too. Uh, you know, his his regular costume, the one we know with the shorts and all that stuff, gets ripped. And Earth 2 Robin is still in that Batman-inspired costume, which I hate. I hate that costume. 
you know, it's, it's, it's the Batman costume with a yellow cape and a, and a thing in the middle, right? It's, it's the worst. And he literally sort of brings Earth One Dick to, I think the Batcave, I don't remember, or some headquarters. And he's like, you need a new costume. Here's this thing, I, this guy I know, Neil Adams created. They literally reference Neil Adams in the comic. It's so awesome, right? And subsequently they go on the rest of the journey and Earth One Dick is wearing this new costume and it never comes back. It's never addressed again and all that stuff. Someone somewhere must've said like, no, we're not doing that new costume. And then subsequently, I don't know, remember where it's sort of, I don't know if it's in that Batman 300 where it's suddenly he's in that costume, but again, All-Star Squadron might've done, you know, like where it was like, okay, now Earth 2 Dick Grayson's wearing that particular costume. Um, but the way Aparo draws him, you know, like Dick Grayson's a man and he's, he's, he's at the top of his game in terms of being a crime fighter and stuff like that. And in that version of Gotham, um, whereas I always felt like other artists drew him, you know, too skinny or too young, et cetera. This felt like an adult. Like it feels like he and Earth One Batman are, are the same age and they're peers. And, and, and it's really, it's a really fascinating dynamic that, like I said, it only seems to have, unless somebody can point out someplace else, you know, like, you know, for me, it, it's the pinnacle of the Earth One, Earth Two concept in that they, they brought a maturity to it that hadn't existed before. So Sorry, was, I rambled in, on. In getting, no, it. it's okay. The, that was something I was going to get into was about the suit. I had no idea that you were such a Dick Grayson fan. And then, uh, so, I mean, that would totally make sense on why when asked what book would you like to talk about this, this is the, the one, because this is a very, Batman and Dick Grayson are peers. There, he's nobody's I don't think either one is second fiddle to either um and that's why I think it perfectly like it's perfect that it's a brave and the bold and it's Batman and Robin you know it's yeah. uh I mean sure Batman's named first but I think that they're and just they kind of like deal on the cover the x boy wonder you know like x's in yeah. big letters or something yeah you know the what I mean like it, it, yeah and and you know like like a big deal you know what mm-hmm. I mean like you know, and, and, it, and they bust out like, you know, like even on the cover, the Batmobile and all. It's, mm-hmm. And what's great about it, especially with Hugo Strange as a villain and sort of that original Golden Age version of him versus like the 70s version, which was the Marshall Rogers Engelhart mm-hmm. version, which is my other favorite. If you ask me the second favorite, it's the whole Engelhart Rogers oh, yeah. run. Of Proactively called um, or later called Strange Apparitions. Strange yeah, that's one of my favorites too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what the problem is? I'm, I'm going on a complete tangent, and maybe <laughs> fans out there know this, is Marshall Rogers. So you, you talk about me being a Dick Grayson fanatic. Uh-huh. Let, let me do a diversion for a minute. Is All the original comic art that I own is all Dick Grayson stuff. Oh. So I have, or, so I have a, um, George Perez Nightwing. Mm-hmm. I have a Nick Cardi Robin. Um, and those were sketches they did for me. I own a page of Batman 600 where Dick's um, Nightwing's hand is through the trophy case and the original Robin costume is hanging off of it after he fights Batman. Um, That took a lot to get. Like I had to force the inker to sell that to me because he wasn't going to sell it. (laughs) Um, I paid a lot of money for it. Um, I I even have uh, a couple of commissions. One was a Marshall Rogers Robin before he died. Because when I started, when I got into collecting art which was thanks to my original boss michael uselin who i'm sure you guys all know um michael got me into buying original art because he was such a collector he has an insane collection <laughs> and you know i was looking for the stuff i grew up with in childhood and the george perez stuff was too expensive so it was easier to get a commission and none of the marshall rogers stuff ever made it to the market to the original art market other than maybe a few covers like a mr miracle cover but none of that strange apparition stuff as far as i knew at the time had ever been released into the marketplace. So I found his art dealer and got him to draw a Robin commission and he died like six months later. Um, And then I have um, uh, Alex Ross's original concept art for Red Robin and Kingdom Come. Wow. Which is actually not even the version they show in the making of stuff, it's the previous version. So he's got an R in the middle. It's that costume. But it's, it's an earlier version of it. It's a little more Robin-inspired. So I have that hanging up in my house. Um, but the, one of my favorite pieces is I got Joe Staten to draw me an Earth 2 Robin. 
<laughs> and it's a really cool piece. It's a real. If you remind me, I'll email you a picture of it. It's really I would, cool. yeah, it might be on that'd my be Instagram. Great. Actually, all these pieces are on my Instagram. I have, I have, okay, two. I have like two giant Jim Lee pieces that he drew me, and then a couple of different sketches he drew me. All like seventies and one is All Star Robin because they were originally going to use it. Him and Frank were going to originally use it as a cover, but then they never finished the book. Um, so he gave me one of those, and then for my fortieth birthday, which is now a while ago. Jim drew me a seventies inspired Robin. Wow. Um, you know, in the classic costume. And uh-huh. I have a running gag with Jim that uh, about earth Two Robin. And he claims he never drew Earth Two Robin, but what he didn't remember was he actually drew Earth Two Robin on the cri- uh, infinite crisis cover for Jeff Johns, <laughs> like the second or third issue Earth Two Robins in the background of one of the shots. Wow. Um, so anyway, uh, the reason I bring this up is um, I, the two piece, two, two things I wanted were I wanted something of Marshall Rogers from that Strange Apparition run, mm-hmm. which by the way also did a good job of showing Dick Grayson, you know, in his cameo in that run um, as a grown up, like as a young adult, you know, really cool. Um, and that was again, this is all just before the you know Dick sort of goes into the Titans land and becomes Nightwing and all that stuff. You know, this is years before. Um, but the other thing I wanted was Jim Aparo. I wanted to buy pieces from this issue. And thanks to Uslan, you know, Uslan's connected to every art dealer <laughs> on the planet. I'm not joking, because like he owns everything from Ditko, Spider-Man, Bob Kane, Batman, Neil Adams, uh, Hawkman, like, oh, Gil Kane, Hawkman, all this, he had all this crazy stuff. He's the greatest comic art collection I've ever seen. And so Michael was always helping me like introduce it. Like, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And Aparo had just died when I started. So this is like 20 years ago. Um, and the, 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 the mis- I was told there was a very, very famous artist who died just before. I'm not going to name who it is. Um, before Aparo. Mm-hmm. And the family, not sort of understanding the art business, flooded the marketplace with all the original art from this guy. And what it did was it drove the value down. Nothing was valuable anymore because it was a flooded market of this guy's stuff. And the Aparo family sort of learned that and sort of have only over the last couple of decades parceled the original art out there. So there's not much original Aparo, like classic Aparo art out there. But when they do put it out, it goes for a lot of money. You know, there's infinitely more popular Jim Aparo pieces you know, like Batman, the Brave and the Bold 200 cover went for a lot of money, right? Those are the things they're sort of parceling. So this, you know, even though I went to his dealer and I was like, can you please ask them? Like, I will pay good money for this. They were like, no, they're not going to. But again, this is years ago and I haven't, um, uh, you know, really pursued it since. But every now and then I check and nothing comes up. Nothing comes up. Um, so that's my dream is to get at least some, piece of artwork of earth to robin from this book i knowing me i'd buy like four or five pages if they were reasonable <laughs> but um it's just it had such an effect on me and a, a lot of it's aparo like the emotion in the book is so did, good did you read this as soon as it came out did, did you pick oh, this yeah. up off the spinner rack comic, yeah okay. oh yeah oh absolutely well gotcha. at that you know the advantage of growing up in new york in that era was the dawn of the comic shop so we had comic shops. Oh, nice. That were relatively new. That were, you know, the, the new direct market. Because remember, you know, like in, in that sort of 80s run, you start to get like the direct market Teen Titans and Legion books that are mm-hmm. only exclusive to the direct market. <laughs> like, you know, so at that point, it was very easy every week to go to the comic shop and buy that. I might have bought it off a of spinner rack. I mean, it was still then too, but I, but my memory is going to a comic shop and, and specifically buying these things so i thought that i was going to have to so when uh dc does it's i think it's been a while no last year they did a matt wagner and steve Englehart, but a tales of the batman and then like a legends of the dark knight collections of writers and artists and i gotta see if we have that here in the office because i might have that here and i had no idea it was in it when oh, did yeah. that come out this was i think 2016 uh, 2016 oh, because be he, he has an open an open introduction that he wrote a pretty nice one too and dated it 2016 as well um and it's got his it's like nine stories because alan brenner didn't do a whole lot of batman comic book writing but uh mm. 
I thought this was, I didn't know that I was going to be able to go and, and grab this out of my, uh, my storage right now. So I, and we had some time before we were going to record. So I visited uh, my comic shop and lo and behold, in the back, in the, you know, the back bins, they had um, a lot of Brave and the Bold issues. And sure enough, they had 182. And if I can get my hands on a physical original, give me. Like I, I it's want in good that. condition too. Your your copy's in good condition. Yeah, it's in it's in pretty like damn good condition. I mean, the coloring on I'm the inside is just a little. I'm faded, not a guy. I have a great comic collection mm-hmm. since I'm a little kid of that era in particular. But I was never a bored bag guy. Like like to me, I was like, I'm never going to sell comics. And so who gives a shit? I'm just going to read them till mm-hmm. they break. And that was one of those that broke. So I'd have to buy like a, mo- a couple of copies of it. Keep going back and get some. Um, <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, you know, like, like I said, I'm not a, I wasn't, you know, like maybe I'm just a little, little too old or I was too young at the time to appreciate the collector's market. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it was just like, I, I was that way too as a kid. A little, yeah, I was like, I don't care if there's a little crease at the bottom. Just give me the book. Yeah. You know, I just, like I just want to see pictures of Batman. And so it's, it's fun too. But that's a good, see. that's in really good condition. And you, you. I mean, you get the little bit of faded colors, but I mean, the Alan Brenner recolored version, of course it looks good, but there's something about the original faded it. as opposed to like a brightly colored, you know, like recolored too. I mean, it all looks good, but um, I'm glad I have both versions. So I'm glad I had the time that I was able to Is it printed on the glossier one. paper? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a, so I'm not a glossy cool. paper yeah. fan either. Give me the original, like uh, the original stuff, but um you answered a lot of questions that I was going to ask you, so um, <laughs> I appreciate it. We saved some, we saved some time there, but the the story itself is really surprising to me in the sense of there's, I feel like there's a lot in it, and it's a, yeah. it's nineteen pages, a nineteen page yeah. comic, and there's a lot, and I'm still a student of the uh, multi Earths um, characters, so I'm pretty what do you want to say post-crisis you know following the year one i'm a child of the 80s and so then you know year one and death of the family and all that stuff i i caught up on but pretty decent from 90s on then in the 70s strange apparitions that collects i love that run and then the denny o'neill neil adams stuff but i mean outside of the standard batman detective comics my knowledge is i'm still learning so when it comes to a story like this, which is really cool of multi-earths and, try, you know, I reread the issue two or three times to catch all that because it was like, wait, what's happening here? Who's part of the Earth one? Oh, and then who's part of Golden Age is part of Earth two now and then catching up with with that. And it's it's fun for me for that because, I mean, it's just learning back it, in history. It appears fo- yeah, it, I can see how it appears foreign to you. Mm-hmm. But growing up in that era, there was, like I said earlier, there was the yearly events. Mm-hmm of JLA JSA like they like you expected it like like it was part of and JSA had at that point again my chronology could be off were in adventure comics so they they were very present in a way they're not now mm-hmm. you know what i mean so like even in this issue when starman shows up with the cosmic rod and all that stuff you sort of know like like yeah that guy was in the last JLA crossover like you know who that is and you know yeah. why he's doing it and all that stuff like like it was unusual for it to happen in Brave and the Bold, but mm-hmm. they had done stuff like there's there's one in that particular era of uh, Batman and Blackhawk, which I think was a period piece or might have been an Earth 2 story. You know, like that Brave and the Bold was a place where you could do all this unusual stuff. Um, you know, that that story, oh, this story in particular only works because Brave and the Bold exists. If it, it wouldn't make sense in the regular Batman or detective, mm-hmm. you know, comic runs, et cetera. Like it, it just, it wouldn't make sense. It's, it's what it's literally called interlude on earth too. And that's what it is. It's an interlude. It's this fun little nugget of a story that only lunatics like me love, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and, and remember, you know, the, and again, this is happening at a time where that's a very memorable run of comics. Well, the, I mean, the cover, and I said that there's a lot of story, can, there's a lot contained in these 19 pages, but I mean, the the cover promises you Batman, Earth 2 Robin, Batwoman, the 1950s-ish Batmobile, and Hugo Strange, which to me, at my knowledge, I'm, you know, trying to rewind, I'm like, wait, at this era, this is post, 
he was Hugo Strange was beaten to death by Rupert Thorne's uh, thugs. Right. So how is he? Huh. This is going to be an interesting story because I did read this when this Alan Brenner uh, collection came out, but I think I only read it once, and so it just slipped my mind on anything that happened, and I was kind of unaware. Um, but I I was really um, not like I don't want to say like blown away and like over exaggerate, but I had a lot of fun in like for the story and how things are fitting in and the, the as I've read in like a recently uh, on this show is Matthew Manning the Batman the Ultimate Guide and it's talking about past Bat caves and entrances into the Bat caves and uh, you know going through the barn and that's referenced in in here the the uh, <laughs> the Bat Gyro. I love that the bat gyros are in the Batmobile oh. trunk. Like that was so much fun to me. I and I, I'm I'm a 35 year old man now, but reading this, I'm you know I don't know. It's I like dark, serious like Batman, and this isn't this isn't too serious, but it's not making fun by any chance either. And it ends up being a really fun comic book that way. Of having all these fun right. references to go on and this story of figuring out how is Batman and on this earth and that Batman's dead. And then look at this Dick Grayson now all grown up. How does he play on, on that level with Batman of I've already faced the fact that, that, that this, you know, Batman has died before and here he is now and uh, Batwoman facing that too. And it's just emotional level story level, then the, the kind of the Easter eggs and references level, like all of it just really worked for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely, you know, you you've nailed it right on the head. You nailed it. Okay. You know, it's it's that's why it's a classic for me. It, it, mm-hmm. it it's clear that Brennan read, you know, Golden Age stuff, and knew his Earth too, like knew the setup. Um, you know, and, and it doesn't really ever explain how Earth One Batman ends up there. It's like electrical storming boom he's suddenly there and all this stuff sees his grave and all that shit and it's just it's great you know like he didn't really have to um uh explain it all and just get right into the character stuff it's not exposition heavy of making sure that we have panel after panel of explaining this is because of this or whatever it's i can jump right in even with my you know little familiarity between the two uh, and I could jump in and not be totally lost. But I want to ask you with when uh, Strange gives his. Oh, this is earlier on. Um, Hugo Strange's death and getting pushed off the cliff. I haven't read the Golden Age Hugo Strange stories in quite a while. What, did that happen in one of those or is that just kind of specific to this this issue? Because it has the monster, it has the monster men. And then, yeah. And I, and I mean, when uh, Dick's telling Bruce of. Finally, Batman and I thwarted his planet, uh, which is in the process, accidentally sending the professor to what we thought to be a watery death. And I mean, the image is over a cliff and uh, strange is falling. And I, I just couldn't remember. I'm like, I, I can see in my mind now the uh, the original like Monsterman story with Hugo Strange. But about how that mm-hmm. ended, I was like, wait, did that is that how that really happened in there or or what? But uh, I liked the what are you going to say? Like a twist with this Hugo Strange? Right, how he looked in the yeah. in the Bat Cave. Uh, his his story of what happened to him. I mean, that worked for me. And then mm-hmm. I don't know, a little. I don't want to say messed up, but uh, creative, original in the sense that he was just trying to get his enemies to kill him to put him out of his misery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a story. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it it it's you know the thing is this. It, it, it does something that a lot of comics today don't do, which is, hey, we can do all this in the single issue, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you, we, can, we can do all this beginning, middle, end, single issue, 20 pages, whatever it is, and it's over. Um, and they don't overstay the welcome. They don't drag it out, et cetera. There's no fat on the story. You know, it, it's, you know, it's a. Uh, it just it makes makes me appreciate the economy of how to write for a single issue comic book. If that makes sense, yeah, that's a lost art now. Everybody writes for trade paperbacks. Everybody writes for to be six issues, you know. And that that that's the market. Like I'm not. It's not a judgment. 
by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a reminder of these single issue things. And, you know, and in those days, you know, this doesn't apply to this story in particular, but you talk about the strange apparition stuff and mm-hmm. um, even what Wolfman and Perez had done in Teen Titans, um, long-term planning. You know, the, 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 there was long-term planning in those days. And you could, but you could also still do single issues like this because in those days, they didn't know they were going to be collected someday, 25, mm-hmm. 30 years later, you know, like it, it wasn't, you know, wasn't thought of then. So they had to be economical and get somebody to spend whatever the cover price was, 60 cents or 40 cents or whatever it was. This was 60 cents, which is 60 the cents was for this one. ludicrous. ludicrous. <laughs> Outrageous. I can't pay 60 yeah. cents for a comic book. So I, I having people on here and talking, uh, it, it definitely is. If you have an arc, uh, multi-issue story, you say, oh, I wish for more one-offs. If there were one-offs, you'd wish, oh, I wish that there were longer arcs. Uh, but we definitely say, you hear it repeated here a lot, that we, we do miss the one-off issues. Yeah. Um, just self-contained stories. The most recent, it was only eight issues the most recent Legends of the Dark Knight title, it opened with a three-issue arc, but then the remaining five were just one-offs, and that was great. I just I just really liked something about that. Like you'd said, too, I don't... I mean, it makes it easier in rereading stuff for this show, too, of, oh, it's one single issue? Then great, I might read it two or three times. Um, I, do, I do miss that. I love the longer stories, but uh, like you'd said, though, is Brenner, he just... I don't know, maybe his writing in other in other mediums um came into play mm-hmm. here of really sharpening his script and he says in that opening introduction that he loves like the the parallel universe idea and aspects and multi-earth angles and stuff and he tried to bring that into other writings and so uh, I, I don't know it's just i think that it's it's very sharp from a from a writer that uh the comic or the um the average comic book reader you know, they know Jim Lee, they know Frank Miller, they know Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale, stuff like that. But I don't think that Alan Brenner wouldn't necessarily spark an instant, you know, recognizability no. with. And it's it's kind of in his little book, his little book, the book here compared to others, you know, it's like a third of the size. It's very thin and it's right. containing all of his work. But I mean, you get pieces like this in it and it's well, it's a little golden gem. Let me see but... the cover. Let me see the cover. That's the. Uh, yeah. But that's Earth 2 time, also. Like, I forget he did that too. That was Earth 2 stuff. Batman and Catwoman. And I think that is the, the autobiography of Bruce Wayne. And uh, Aparo yeah. did that one too. And that's a, I remember that one uh, being a pretty fun story as well. Yeah. I mean, just because, I mean, it's a scarecrow. I'm a sucker for scarecrow. Uh, and that's a pretty good story. But another one of everything's contained in one issue. <laughs> yeah it's just well that was the beauty of brave and the bold brave and the bold very rarely uh, um, unless my memory is garbage very rarely had multi-issue arcs mm-hmm. so you were getting something different every month and it always delivered um and if you didn't like that one there was always going to be one the next month you know what i mean like mm-hmm. um and you could do stuff you know again canon wasn't as important as it is now, well, now it's a mess, but the, in those days it was very much, they did pay attention to what was there, but it didn't matter. Like, cause they were always adding something new to it, right? Like mm-hmm. using the past to create something new. Now everybody uses the past to recreate the past. You know, that's, that's the big problem with comics today. Is we don't have a dark night. We don't have, you know, an Aparo who's going to do a consistent 20 year run on something. Yeah. You know, things like that. Um, but again, I think the reason this stays with me is because it was never duplicated. The Earth 2, they never did another team up. Aparo never drew that character again, the Earth 2 Robin. Um, and there was no other team up of Batman and Earth 2 Robin anywhere ever again, as far as I know, um, or interaction, you know, unless it was in the Justice League or something where they said hi to each other. But the there was never, you know, a spotlight story like that. Um, you know, there was later, I don't know if Levitz wrote these, but there were 
Huntress backup stories in Wonder Woman hmm. at a certain point in the 80s, later on, that State and Drew, so Robin would pop up in that and all that stuff. But there was never, but he was there to support Huntress's, you know, it's Huntress's book. Um, so yeah, they never sort of, you know, now you see different future versions of Dick Grayson, like in White Knight and um, uh, Batman Beyond comics. You know, he's always like a commissioner or some authoritative figure and all that stuff, which, you know, and I think there's something fascinating about a world where Dick Grayson doesn't become Nightwing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's something fascinating where his trajectory is very different than the Earth One Robin's trajectory. There's no Teen Titans on Earth Two. Um, you know, he was sort of thrusted at a young age right into the Justice League mm-hmm. um, in that terrible Batman-inspired costume that I hate. Um, <laughs> I mean, at this point, there's even like an Earth Two Robin Facebook group that I belong to. Everybody posts the you know original art and stuff like that. Um, I posted my state and piece on there, and everybody loved it. Do you like um, this suit more than? Uh, it, it, would this be your favorite Robin suit? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, without, without a, a doubt. doubt. Nice. Yeah. And um, there, there's a cool thing. I have it here at the, the office somewhere. I think it's Nightwing Earth One, uh, not Earth One, Year One um, mm-hmm. book, which, um, God, who wrote that? Um, what's Scott his name? Beatty and Chuck Dick- Graham. Chuck I Dixon. think Chuck Dixon wrote it, um, probably with Beatty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you, you're familiar with it, but mm-hmm. um, it opens on a story of maybe it's year one. I'm pretty sure it's year one. Um, It opens with the story of Batman and Robin chasing Clayface in the middle of winter. And Robin's in this like snow outfit. It's not, you know, like a warm outfit or whatever. And they stop Clayface, but Batman and Robin don't get along. And it's sort of, but they go to the cave and Dick's about to graduate into that costume for the first time. So like he pulls out or Alfred pulls out the costume, all this stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, this is a great way to introduce the costume. And subsequently Batman fires him and drops the costume and it becomes Nightwing. Um, so I always like these little appearances of the costume throughout yeah. the history of stuff, but no one has ever gone and done a story of that version of the character. Like they've made toys out of that character, that version mm-hmm. of the character um dc directed one years ago really nice figure very jerry ordway inspired um ordway perez inspired from crisis on infant nerds and then mattel did a a little one which was influenced from his first appearance in justice league it's not a very well-made figure but it's still cool there's always these fun custom figures like someone will do a custom mego version or something like that um and you know neil and then neil adams sort of used that inspiration of that costume and did a sort of advanced version, which is which became Tim Drake's first costume. Was sort of a spin-off of that, like the sort yeah. of an evolved version, because Neil Adams created those costumes. I could see that influence for sure when I, when I did see his costume of oh, you just changed changed the colors, changed the mask, and I definitely see Tim Drake's uh Robin. Yeah. I see he that did. reveal, that reveal of Tim Drake in that suit for the first time. At this yeah. time, Kathy Kane Batwoman, had she, how often was she making appearances in comics? She wasn't I'm aware of that She was time. dead. Okay. She was technically dead in, at least in Earth One, right? And she had her Batgirl, the original Batgirl who was blonde and all that stuff, who loved, who was a crush on Dick in the 50s and stuff like that. Um, but then subsequently, my memory of, of her in the comics, I don't, Think she had been around for a bit so i think it was very clever of the writer to sort of introduce her into it because she probably hadn't been utilized at that point it, the earth 2 version you know i guess didn't die um or they twisted something i, I have no clue but you know it, i always found batwoman to be really interesting and underutilized character um and it's one of the few they haven't really brought back you know they always find mm-hmm. a new way to put a new spin on something They've done it with Huntress or, you know, like even Tom King in his uh, black label Batman Catwoman book has a version of Helena Wayne in this sort of Batman inspired costume. Um, 
and sort of going back to the concept of Batman and Catwoman having a daughter. Um, they they never really went back to Kathy Kane, and I I, I think probably the, she's a problematic character in that what she really was was just a female Bruce Wayne. She was a socialite. She had a sidekick. It was like the same thing. It's like almost like where there are two Robins. Like, what do you do with that character at a certain point? Whereas Barbara Gordon Batgirl is infinitely more interesting a character. Yeah. You know, um, I think Kathy Kane's a great character. I just, you know, I feel like a lot of that sort of spun into the current Batwoman, mm-hmm. which is Katie Kane. Is it Katie Kane or something? Kate Kane. Kate Kane. You know, like it's sort of that's the modern interpretation of that character yeah. so where does Kathy Kane fit into you know that original Batman where does she sort of fit into it um Grant Morrison it. did and then maybe this is because like you said she just isn't brought up or uh brought up or brought into many stories but in the in uh Batman Incorporated there might have been like an issue four oh, yeah. or five there was one throwback That's right and I remember that stood out one because you know I it said Batwoman, and to me at that point, you know, the the Kate Kane version is the Batwoman that I was familiar with, and I was like, wait, what is, what is this? And then it, it I think the art was done. I always forget the term, but the, the way that they used to print art and like dots, um, they used a really cool throwback look for that also. And I think it was a throwback they were like at a circus or something for that Batman Incorporated issue. But right. that one stood out of it was cool, but but then outside of that, I don't really know that version of the character. I don't. I'm pretty. Uh, openly admit that i'm kind of clueless on that so i heard being on the cover of this and reading the story i'm like oh look at that it's that that version of cap or batwoman yeah i distinctly remember now i'm sort of googling this while we're talking because you know she had sort of that version of kathy kane had sort of launched now i totally remember this um launched in the 50s so you know in my comic reading life which is you know, mid to late 70s or the start of it at a really young age. She was around, right? Yeah. She had sort of existed. And then they killed her off in the late 70s, I think, like in 1979 mm. um, in detective comics, um, which at the time was one of these dollar books, you know, uh, which was Batman family centric, like 68 page things. Um, and she died in that. I remember that. Um, you know, and that was very unusual for the time. I'm, I'm looking this up. Um, you know, how they did it. I don't remember. Um, but I remember that book. Like, I, I know I had it. Um, but yeah, so to bring her back for this, is really unusual in a good way. Like it, it was like, oh yeah, I found by the way that Grant Morrison thing. Um, the, that also you have to understand at a time where the continuity of the multiple Earths and the histories of who did what were starting to get convoluted, which eventually leads, you know, six seven years later after this to. Um, well, in the case of this issue, you know, five or six years later, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, to sort of clean all this up. So that, mm-hmm. that's how they wiped out Earth 2, Robin and Huntress. Like they never existed, all this stuff. And it was real. I hated that, you know, but I mean, I love Crisis on Infinite Earths, but I hated that. Like, oh, you got rid of all these characters. Yeah. I like the Justice Society and all that stuff. But it was cleaner, like the idea that they had existed before they had and all that shit. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, bringing back Kathy Kane who at that point had probably been dead like three or four years in the continuity was probably a surprise thing to a lot of readers. It probably was to me at the time too, especially seeing her on the cover. Mm-hmm. Do you, maybe even now, if you remember when you read it before the ending of this issue, uh, Starman and Dick are talking and Starman asks, you know, what the devil brought batman to an empty cemetery on his earth and they didn't really answer that do you remember or even now how you interpret that of why or what was your what was your take from that because they left it on an open-ended unless i totally missed something left it pretty open-ended well the thing is i think what's implied is 
it's no coincidence that Earth One Batman is brought back and lands in Earth Two at the tomb of Bruce Wayne. Okay. You know, at the graveside of Bruce Wayne. So I think the implication from Starman at the end of that, at the end of the issue, is that there's some divine intervention from Earth Two, the ghosts of Earth Two Batman. You know, like there's some mm-hmm. divine intervention that he's helping Dick and Kathy and whoever the hell get closure on that. Because what's what's sort of unusual about the issue is Huntress doesn't show up, you know, et cetera. Like, which I think there's a whole, I think there's a Brave and the Bold issue of Batman and Huntress, but I don't remember it. Um, but there's a whole another can of worms, in my opinion, that you could do that, <laughs> where what happens when she sees her father? You know, like yeah. when they did like New 52 and stuff like that, they sort of changed it where Helena was Robin to Bruce in his later end of the career and she becomes a version of whatever um, instead of the Huntress. Um, but yeah, like the, I remember reading it and just, and again, that's why I think it's the strength of the writing is you're not really sitting there going, well, that doesn't make sense. How the hell did he get there too? It's like in those days, it was just like these things happen, mm-hmm. you know, and it's cool and don't worry about it. Just enjoy the story. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just enjoy. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of things now as we start to get close to wrapping up here. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. in reading this, and it's it's getting specific. Do you have a favorite part? I ask everybody this. Uh, do you have a favorite part, or rather, what is like the favorite part of this issue for you? That's a good question. Um, you know, I do like the whirly bat stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, because I just thought that was a clever nod to the fifties. I like the Batwoman stuff, but I mean, I just, I just like, you know, the bits where like there's, there's, there's a bit, I'm trying to find it, um, where Robin rescues Batman. That's early on in the book. Like I thought, you know, like he's really establishing himself as a, as a, as a man, like he's, he misses like a wrong when he's falling off a building. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he apologizes to Robin and sort of says, you know, and Robin says, like, let's work together. Stuff like that. Then that's what I really enjoy. That's um, by the way, the, the Huntress issue is like two issues later. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't remember it at all. Um, only because on my Google search for this issue, that issue comes up. Um, and it's literally two issues later. Um you know, back to the comic shop just, <laughs> exactly I, I no, i know i have these things you know i'm gonna go to my dad's house and dig that one up um i'm sorry i i, I don't know if i answered the question you did properly. yeah you did i'd say probably for mine there i don't know i like that part where he saves him just because of how it's it's definitely showing not that dick was ever not seen as an equal but this is even more so of, of an equal but i also love the i mean the whirly bat part that was fun. That was a fun nod that they find uh, that this isn't a that the Batmobile appears to be the original because Dick signed it when they re- re- retired it, basically. So like well, that whole uh, that whole page, and then the three panels of you know going uh, internal dialogue of, of, of each of them and yeah. talking about like I like that perspective. I think I like all that, and even more specific now. What do you have a favorite panel? Which in a Jim Aparo book. Is really hard. <laughs> well, that's tricky. I don't have the book in front of me, but um... covers count too. <laughs> the, 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 I like the cover. I don't love the cover. You know, there, okay. there's um, only because it doesn't feature Robin enough. But the the bit of him throwing the batarang to slice the tires of the old Batmobile and sort of his response when it explodes, yeah, is really cool. And and sort of that what I mentioned before when he rescues him flies mm-hmm. in the air like there's just something very cool about you know that, that what i was talking about earlier where it's like he's really designed he's really drawn to be an adult versus yeah. what we've seen him for in the past and stuff like that um there, there's lots of good stuff in this you know like i like i said i would kill to have any page from this book mm-hmm. um i'm you know some of the action stuff's really good it's a lot of fun i'm a sucker there's also the bit by the way where kathy where batwoman explains why she retired and she's got her hand on dick's face and all that stuff like 
you know, is really uh, uh, poignant. It's a very poignant mm-hmm. scene. I'm always a sucker for a good Batcave image, but a Jim Aparo Batcave image, give me all day, every day. And yeah, the when they first end up in the Batcave and you got the T-Rex and the Penny and the old uh, uh, Batplane, uh, that's, that would probably be my favorite. But again, I mean, the things that you mentioned, Jim Aparo, he's um, every panel frameable. Uh, since you yeah. are heavily involved, uh, if you know, a master in animation, would you ever like to see this ad- this story, this issue adapted in animation? Sure. You know, Somehow. they did. They, they the, In the Brave and the Bold TV series, they had this version of Robin, or the costume. Um, I just recently rewatched it. It was a lot of fun. Where, But in this continuity, he's just the grown-up Robin. Like, mm-hmm. they don't explain anything. And, and he's sort of, they, there's stuff inspired from, it's clearly inspired from it. Um, but man, what I would love to do an animation in, in the Aparo style of anything mm-hmm. Batman. I think it'd be yeah. super cool. I think, th- I think there's a world where, you know, I love the new Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, it, I think it's fantastic. But I think there's a world for a yellow, oval, blue, caped, fun Batman. And I don't know if you're reading Mark Wade's World's Finest. Yes. That's just come out like the first... I just read the third issue. Someone sent me the advance of the third issue. It's really good. Like there's a sense of fun to it. I think there's a world for that. Like where, when you talk about this story, where you were saying earlier, it's like, it's a dark story, but it does, it's not dark, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's got weight to it and it's got drama to it, but it's not a dark, oppressive story. And in that regard, it works really, really well. Um, but yeah, I think there's a world for a fun, not campy, but fun Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, stories like this, which I think are really fun one shot. Shame on me that I have not seen every episode of Brave and the Bold. Uh, no, I, I would like to, I would so, like to track it down and just do a just make that the series of of make my way through that from beginning to end because I've seen a lot of them, but I haven't seen all of them, and I get a little, you know, take away my bat card if you know. But I haven't watched every episode. Unbelievable. Uh, FJ, is, is there anything about this issue that's left that you haven't said that you'd like to say? Anything we didn't no, cover? Or anything? Uh, no, I think we we got the whole we got yeah. the whole gamut. I mean, you know, the interesting thing is we talked for an hour and it's a single issue book. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and again, it's just look, we all have those moments in our lives where we find something in our childhood that just sort of stays with you forever, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I've learned this, you know, with my nephew, who's now 23, who looks at Star Wars from the prequel era, because that was his introduction to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And he holds that in a different regard than even the originals or the sequels, et cetera. Um, there are just certain things that, you know, could be just unusual like that, that don't have to be as popular as Dark Knight or, you know, Year One or Hush or, you know, any of these classic long halloween like in these classic stories like you can love all that but there's always like these one things that something clicks in your brain as a kid then it stays with you and that's what the this story did it just mm-hmm. stayed with me forever uh i said that i read it probably for the first time in 2016 and didn't remember it not because it isn't good uh, i just don't know why i didn't remember it but now this is definitely <laughs> sticking my mind more now because uh yeah this is just I don't know. It's a lot of fun. It's a really fun uh, contained Batman story that, I mean, take 20 minutes and just dive in. If you can track it down, like I said, there's a back issue at a, at my comic shop and it was $5. Like, sure. Absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, unreasonable by any means. So I can only imagine you should be able to track it down. Um, yeah. Last thing I want to, I want to ask your, your opinion on this. So in every episode, I try to follow up with a a poll question on the Batman book clubs, Twitter at the Batman BC. And the last, the last poll question I'd asked because we covered the many deaths of the Batman written by John Byrne, Mm -hmm. illustrated by Jim Aparo. That was the first time ever got to cover Aparo on this, on the show, 103 episodes in and finally got to it. Now look at this back to back Jim Aparo. Uh, I'd asked, when it comes to John Byrne, who did he write better for, Superman or Batman? A lot of people, I and I said, 
I, I, I said a lot of people, I was like, now take some time to your answer. Cause I'm not talking longevity. I'm talking like impact. And who did he, you think he wrote better for? And 74 people, yeah, 74% of the people said Superman. And I mean, I, I, had, well, I figured as much. <laughs> you know, what's great though, is the burn Captain America, Batman crossover thing where they're like in real time. Mm. I haven't Have read that one. Read those? No, you you need to read those because it's sort of the last great John Byrne thing. Mm. You know, Byrne isn't as prevalent in the modern eye in comics because mm-hmm. he's nuts and sort of pissed off everybody, supposedly. You know, as opposed to the Perez's or the Neil Adams of the world, who, sure. you know, um, or the Aparos of the world who sort of have a longevity. Um, Burns' contribution to that era is is truly significant, mm-hmm. um, but his impact on Superman, in terms of his reinvention of it or his modernization of it, is a better word. Yeah. Versus Batman, where he just told good Batman stories. But the, the the but I strongly urge you to read the Batman Captain America crossover, which is sort of an Elseworlds thing that he did in the '90s, and they did a lot of them. Like they're, they're, I'm sure there's some omnibus or some. Collected the version collect- of collections that if you're ready to spend a good chunk of money, then you can read them, which is too bad. It's like the JLA yeah. Avengers thing. Um, yeah. But those are fun. Those are really fun. The later ones are not as exciting, but the the initial ones are really cool. And it's like telling the Batman Captain America story is if they both debuted, you know, in, in the 40s. Oh, cool. And sort of their stories over into the modern age and and like sort of chronologically meaning there's no reboot there's like mm-hmm. you know if batman is this age in the 40s he's an old man by the time you get to the 80s you know like stuff like that there, there there's that kind of fun stuff but that's but in terms of impact burn yeah burns impact man of steel he i mean you gotta burn people forget what burn did for marvel in Avengers, Fantastic Four in particular. Um, and then his DC stuff like Legends, which is sort of the post Crisis on Infinite Earth sort of launch pad. Man of Steel comes out of that. Um, it, it can't be written off. Yeah. It, it, it's significant. And um, the, the problem is he didn't do enough after that to sort of be recognized in the modern eye beyond his x-men stuff in particular death of gene gray and all that gotcha. stuff which is you know genuinely classic em and claremont genuinely classic mm-hmm. storytelling um there you go so so for this episode's poll question maybe a little simpler question maybe a simpler answer maybe okay. not yellow oval or no yellow oval i can go either way i sort either. of want to see the yellow oval come back um, just for they, they, I think in the current Batman run that they're doing now, the Josh Williamson stuff, he's got the Batman Inc. outfit. And all that yeah, I, I just don't think Batman should be limited to one costume. I think he should have mm-hmm. different costumes depending on the situation. So I, I'm surprised they don't do. I should tell Jim Lee that. Um, <laughs> you know that the the you know they, they should have fun with it, meaning different costumes for different occasions. Mm-hmm. The mission calls for this; it should be you know, the yellow oval or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I can go either way. Just it depends on who's drawn it and what the story is. I, I think I'm a lot picky. of people just make it good. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I think, um, I think that there always was, you know, a, a yellow oval. And I mean, as you even see in this issue itself of you get a, an old school Batman suited robot, no yellow mm-hmm. oval fighting the a current one with a yellow oval. So uh, it's a popular symbol. People love the yellow oval. People like it without it. So um, I don't know what I'd answer. I mean, get, go back and forth always. I just I'll be curious to see um, uh, how people respond to that. Yeah, me too. Uh, FJ, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you, oh, you thank coming you so on. Much. Us talking some Batman. Is there anything at all that you'd like to like to plug, inform the people where to go, all that? Um, I'm only on Instagram at FJ DeSanto. Um, you know, there's what you mentioned earlier, Transformers War for Cybertron trilogy, which we just finished up, uh, last year that's on Netflix. And then I have a second show 
uh, animated show for Netflix coming out later this year based on the video game Tekken. Um, oh yes, which the trailer the trailer's up now. Um, and my I'm, first uh, PlayStation game. That's my first PlayStation go. game was Tekken. So you got to watch it. You got to watch it. So got it. I'm not sure when that comes out. To be honest with you, no. Just at some point in probably third or fourth quarter this year. But uh, and, uh, and there's plenty more to come. All right. Excellent. Well, as I said, you can vote in the latest poll on the Twitter of the Batman Book Club at the Batman BC. You can also follow same handle on Instagram. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to support the show, there's a variety of ways you can do that. Like I said, at the top of the show, you can get a Patreon. You can get uh, merchandise at T Public. Just type TBBC at the tpublic.com. Or the easiest way and the cheapest way, if you don't want to spend any money at all, that's to rate and review it wherever you listen to the show, whether it's Apple, Spotify, um, I don't know, Google Play, Amazon, all of that. The more reviews the show gets, the more it helps spread the word. And as we all know, the word is panic. So for FJ DeSanto, I am Ryan Lauer. And until next time, read more panic. <laughs>